Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast, the veto session retrospective, an annual event. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is Jason Rosenbaum and Joe Manis and our guest this week, Senator Tom Dempsey. It is becoming an annual event. After veto session for the next two years, we will likely invite you back. <laughs> okay. Because we'll see our second annual. We like tradition here. <laughs> yes. So let's talk a little bit about veto session. Joe, you were there. What's the SparkNotes version of, of what happened? Veto sessions are held annually in the state capitol. They're generally in September. It's where the General Assembly either sustains or overrides the, the vetoes of bills that the governor has done over the summer. In this one, the uh, General Assembly ended up overriding 10 of the governor's 33 vetoes of bills. And then they also overrode 47 of his 160 line item cuts from the state budget. Now, there are some legal questions about whether or not the General Assembly can do that. They've done it a couple times in the past, but the there's been some discussion about the 47, and the governor can just turn around and withhold the money and just not put it out there. So there's that side drama, which Senator right. Dempsey can probably um, add further to it. But the upshot of it was that, yes, it actually tied last year's uh, number of vetoes as far as the record, and uh, Senator Dempsey is head of the state Senate, which actually um, – 22 of the 33 bills that have been vetoed for from the Senate. So the Senate ended up playing a really particular pivotal role this time. And some of the key bills that were dealt with in one way or the other was um, all the financial stuff, um, a bunch of tax credits, a proposal to um, extend the state's uh, waiting period for abortions to 72 hours. That was over. That was now in effect. The Senate played a key role. There's also a bill that did get through that uh, expands gun rights in the state. And then there's a couple things that didn't get handled, including the school transfer bill, which um, got through the Senate but died in the House. So that's uh, that's a very quick version, and Senator Dempsey knows a lot more about this than I do. And I should just note that I, w- I looked back at our scorecard last year, and we did count one of the line item vetoes in the 10. So yes. you could make an argument that, you know, that it may have surpassed last year, and if you add the line item vetoes, it vastly surpassed last year. We'll let the numer- mathematicians decide that. But anyways, it was a very active session. Yeah, we had a lot to, to uh, consider, um, certainly with the, the, the record number of veto- vetoes, a number of those being the line item vetoes. Um, you know, I wasn't what, re- really doing any predicting uh, prior to veto session, uh, spent a few weeks uh, running around the state visiting uh, with senators uh, one-on-one about their thoughts on veto session and, and then some other things, uh, you know, after session, like what do you want to work on? Um, but, you know, going into veto session, um, you know, Senator Schaefer and uh, the appropriate uh, budget chair, Stream, um, talked amongst leadership about uh, just instead of trying to override all the budget items uh, to do the uh, items that were most critical. And so that's how, you know, we came to, um, you know, what was the number, 37, I think? 47. 47, sorry. 47. 47. Um, And we didn't end up getting to two of the bills um, because of the fallout from the abortion bill. But so, and we had uh, broad bipartisan support. Of course, uh, the attorney general put his letter out questioning 
You know, it wasn't a gotcha letter. It was really, when you look at historically um, what had happened on line item vetoes, and when you look at um, the Missouri Constitution, I really didn't have a clear handle on how to handle on how to deal with them. And uh, as you mentioned, he, we were successful on the 47, but he still does have the the ability to withhold uh, the 47. Are you know, we look at, we see as uh, critical items in the budget that affect uh, care for the elderly, the disabled, the poor. And, um, you know, they weren't uh, frivolous expenses. Um, so we were successful on those. I guess I don't know exactly how you want to handle the different the different policy bills that we had. Um, we, on the, I guess, the governor's so-called Friday favors bills, I, you know, I, when I did my press availability after veto session, I said, listen, where, where he had a legitimate point, um, you know, we granted him that point. The data center bill was one that, uh, frankly, we, the, the language that we used just wasn't, um, from a definition st- standpoint, tight enough. Um, but we let off session with two bills that we thought wor- weren't uh, favors but um, policy differences on on how we should treat people and how we should treat small business people. And one was the uh, the Department of Revenue, the notification right. bill, uh, because what we have now is but the Department of Revenue and practices kind of notification by audit. And uh, that's how you find out um, that they've reinterpreted statute and where you were never deemed to have collected sales tax before, you're now not only supposed to start collecting it, but you're liable for the as far back as they can look for what you didn't collect. And, um, you know, that's uneven in, in its enforcement. And frankly, you know, I just, you know, give someone an opportunity to, you know, say, hey, we've reread the statute, we've deemed your service uh, a taxable item, and uh, so you need to begin um, collecting sales tax. We passed that bill in the Senate. I think that bill died uh, in the House. Um, the burden of proof bill yes. was overridden, yes. and that's you know once, uh, we're, we believe that we're innocent until proven guilty in this country, and we think that should uh, apply to tax cases as well. As well, it does for small businesses. This will allow that same standard to apply for businesses that have over uh, seven million dollars in revenue. So that was really kind of the the one bill on that. Um, um, you know, budget side where the governor was doing all his withholding that we we did override the rest of them either uh, in the House or the decision that we made to to not bring up a number of bills um, really kind of dealt with 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 that subject matter. What do you think the overarching theme was in the General Assembly? In the House, they spent a lot of time really, in, in effect, dumping on the governor for either not talking to them or for flying around in the plane uh, different things, but from your perspective, what what was this basically? A sig- the General Assembly saying we don't like what you're doing, or we don't like the fact that you don't talk to us, or just sort of how how do you see what happened? Well, I think when you look at even on the 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 e-cigarette bill, uh, you know, a number of the other bills, um, even the the ones that I've mentioned, there were there was Democrat support, uh, I think, in both chambers. And I think there has been this level of frustration with the the governor uh, and his staff not really being involved until, you know, after the fact. And um, I don't think – I really don't feel like we have a very good relationship. And as I talk to other members or as I hear from other members, 
be they Republican or Democrat, I don't think they feel that they can ha have a relationship where, where they get input from the governor. I'll use the criminal code bill, you know, right off the bat, where, um, you know, hadn't been done in 30 years. Um, it's not something that can be easily uh, picked up if it fails, you know, in the following year. And Senator Justice was and Senator Dixon were reaching out to the administration and getting no feedback. And then after we passed the bill, um, all of a sudden there was this criticism that there were these faxes going from the Department of Public Safety to, you know, national organizations. And I remember Senator Justice saying, you know, if um, we didn't get any faxes uh, addressing concerns. And once we found there were a couple concerns, we we passed another bill to address them. And it's you know, um, the school transfer bill, I thought the Senate worked very hard. This, of course, goes outside of veto session. Right. But, um, you know, it's it's very difficult for us to move education policy in the state of Missouri. Um, the last two school funding formulas were the results of um, – were, were done after – After lawsuits. After right. lawsuits. And, you know, here we are with the transfer bill was, you know, that, that – it was the uh, Supreme Court decision that led to this problem that was now in our lap. And, um, you know, the governor had a lot of criticism for the, the plan that we came up with, but I didn't see an alternative. And what we were able to craft was a solution that got, at least during regular session, 28 votes. Yeah. The, what, what do you I mean? We'll probably talk about how you move forward and on that issue later in the show. But why do you think that there was such a divide between the House and the Senate as far as margins on that bill? As you kind of alluded to, overwhelming approval in the Senate and relatively narrow passage in the House, which means some Republicans <clears throat> voted against it and not enough Democrats voted and for it. And in veto session, it, they didn't even bring it up because they didn't have the vote. Yeah. So think they that, didn't even bring so it up. So why do you think that happened? Well, I, you know, I've been one who supported reform for, you know, the the 14 years I've been in the legislature and, you know, I've not seen much get done in the way of reform. And so I, you know, I think the, the, the school choice piece, uh, though I believe was very watered down, was still a controversial piece. Um, but the, the House had 89 votes. That's six more votes than we had for the school funding formula when we did it in 2005, I think it was. Right, but, but they, needed, they needed 20 more. Well, yeah, yeah, we needed to have a veto-proof majority because the governor didn't support it. Right. Yeah. But. Now, uh, yeah, so that so do you think there will be uh, and then I want to get to the uh, abortion bill because that sure. was kind of key at the end. Uh, do you think there will that the transfer issue will be resurrected next session that you'll have to deal with it again? You know, I, I'm not sure. Certainly if the governor were to call people together or have a summit on it or, or you know, take a uh, leadership position on it, it would potentially create some momentum for it. Um, you know, I don't know if he sees that the based on what the State Board of Education is doing, that that is sufficient. So I, I really, I don't have a clear indication on what we're going to do next year on that. And it's kind of similar with the, the transportation funding. Um, I think most people, though that there was... Um, not the support for the the revenue proposal that was put forward. There was a lot of discussion about a recognition of the the upcoming or pending 
shortfall and our inability to mat even match federal funds here in a year or so. And But where we go from here, um, I think there needs to be a lot of dialogue and discussion, and, and it takes a lot to try to bring people together on these issues. And um, I'll help in any way I can in my remaining two years. So let's get to the, I guess, one of the other marquee bills, which was a bill that would mandate or enact a 72-hour waiting period for abortions. Now, this passed, obviously, during the regular session because it was brought up during veto session. Um, but I think it and, – and I wasn't there. Joe was there, but I was kind of watching remotely. It actually prompted a what I would consider a pretty rare veto session filibuster among Democrats. In, in the Senate. In the Senate. After getting through the House with 117 votes. This is just setting this up. And um, – it was an instance where the Senate majority decided to use what is called the previous question motion, which basically cuts off debate and forces a vote on a bill. Now, I was around in the legislature covering it, covering the legislature when it was used in 2007. Which was the last time. And um, then, interestingly, it was used on another abortion-related bill as well as an amendment making English the official language of proceedings. So there's been a seven-year gap between the time when it was last used and when it was used now. And that was during a regular session. And that was during a regular session. And there's always been kind of some speculation when it was going to come back again. So I guess my first question is, what prompted the previous question to be used on this particular bill, and what was the decision-making process that went on and to, to decide to use it? Uh, as you mentioned, the last was in 2007. I arrived in the Senate from a special election in 2007, so my first day in the Senate was January of 2008. So this, this was the first um, a PQ motion that, that I've been a part of. Um, you know, I was not aware that uh, there was going to be a filibuster on the abortion bill until we got to the bill. Really? Correct. I you know, I'd heard a rumor that possibly. I mean, just because I'd heard it. <laughs> I'd, well, I'd heard a rumor on possible on the gun bill or um or on the abortion bill, but you know, you hear a lot of rumors right. in that building, and so I don't, you know, and and I. May have passing thought about it, but I've just kind of felt, well, we'll deal with it when we get there. Uh, I'm not, I'm not so sure that's going to happen. And then, it, of course, it did. And uh, everybody knew that uh, at some point we were going to be losing a member. Uh, that Senator Pierce had a, a family. Yes, so he commitment. would not be there on Thursday. So any key votes like this had to be done on Wednesday. And the Senate correct? only has twenty-three Republicans right now. And unlike the House, where there are some conservative Democrats that may have switched over, there really aren't any anti-abortion Democrats in the Senate right now. So continue. Um, so you know you had you had that information out there, and then um, you know I think what it came down to, and Senator Justice. I think indicated this on the floor. I think there who, was who was filibustering. Uh, I think Senator Justice was engaged in it. Yeah. She was inquiring of yeah, uh, she's Senator the Sifkin yeah. and uh, Senator Lavota, yes. and um, and uh, I think Jolie was heading it up. And you know, the people that uh, send you to Jefferson City want you to fight for them, and. Um, Kind of what she had indicated is that uh, the way that session ended up and with the abortion bill uh, passing from their perspective, and we may, we disagree on the issue sure, certainly, sure. was that she was getting 
calls not only from her district, from around the state of Missouri, that, that people were criticizing Democrats for for not for not fighting. And mm-hmm. you know, go back to, I, you know, I heard one of the senators mentioned, I, I don't know this lady's name, but the legislator down in Texas. Wendy Davis. When, yeah, Wendy Davis. Yeah, who's, yeah. who's now running for who, governor. That's, that's what they, you know, that's who interestingly, they want to. They want to champion on on issues, and not and, to get know. too much on a tangent, but they she was actually filibustering a bill that was somewhat similar to the 2007 bill, which enacted ambulatory surgical standards for abortion clinics here. But that's kind of an aside. Yeah. So yeah. continue, you know. And and we have on on our side, it's um, you know we've uh, been advancing legislation reducing abortions in in Missouri for many years, and this was this is similar to a bill that was enacted in South. Dakota, uh, one that um, uh, has not been challenged in, in federal court. Well, it was challenged, um, but then there was a deal cut. But uh, I mean, it was withdrawn, I right, guess. Right, right, correct. Um, so, um, you know, she made it clear that she was going to filibuster the bill, you know. And, you know, we have a 23-member majority. We'd spent weeks working on this legislation, discuss- discussing it during uh, session and had passed it. Um, and, you know, we look at uh, the veto is, um, is really, it's a, it's a separation of powers issue. Um, so it is a power that is, that lies with the legislature to put a bill into law over the governor's objection. And so that there's not really amending to the legislation you're you're not dealing with any other bills only those bills that have been vetoed and and um you know we knew that the only way that we were going to get to a vote on the bill based on what senator justice was telling us and based on the limited amount of time we had because we were going to be losing a member uh, and the number we needed uh to override um you know, we quickly made the decision that we can we can override it at midnight, or we can override it at uh, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, that the that uh, filibuster on a veto session was a special circumstance, and that uh, you know just felt strongly that we needed to to uh, bring the issue to a vote. So why did you decide to use it on that, but not on some of the other issues that have been filibustered over the years? Like, well, I you know we did a kind of. In the limited amount of time we had, a quick research of history, I'm sure there will be people doing more uh, uh, in light of uh, the action that we took, but could not remember a filibuster during a veto session. Um, just to our knowledge, hadn't been done. Okay, so so what 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 happened was you, there was a letter circulated, correct? Isn't that right? You have to okay. put uh, five signatures forward. We put. Uh, 21 of our 23 members okay. signed it. So then then there's a – that comes up. Uh, I, I heard – I mean, I know that Justice was trying to propose an alternative motion. Yes, but a previous question motion Correct. is a privilege motion. So when it's done, there's nothing you can do to yeah, stop it. Yeah, you can't – that's a motion that does not – you cannot substitute that motion. Okay, so then – all right, so the filibuster's killed. You have the final there's, vote. Yeah, there's no debate. So you, right. you do the PQ. You put the letter forward. You do the uh, the motion for the previous question, and that basically then the question is, is the passage of the bill. Right. Yeah, and just as an aside, 
The U.S. Senate does not have this because Aaron Burr knocked it out in the early 1800s. So he did more than just shoot and kill Alexander Hamilton. He also knocked out the PQ in the U.S. Senate. Yes. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but I guess I've been doing a little bit of research. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's quite a bit of research. So I guess my question as somebody who follows the Senate and its operations pretty closely, is this just kind of an aberration or a one-time thing? Or is the Senate Republican majority going to be willing to use this more regularly come regular session? Well, I think that's the that's a question that a lot of people are asking, Democrats included, since we are going to come back in the majority. And it's not, um, as I said, I think it's the circumstances were as it applied to veto session. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I don't, uh, you know, we're not, you know, we still wish to be the deliberative body that we have been. And but you know we deal with very serious issues. There's serious disagreement, um, but you know year in and year out we found a way to uh, to not have to um, to use that motion. But you know the, there's a responsibility among all members, and yes, you have a right to the filibuster. That is within our rules, and is a right that we have held uh, almost supreme in the Missouri Senate. But also in the rules is the motion to shut off the debate. Yeah. The, to, to me, so. it's a really important decision because since the PQ was basically stopped after 2007, to me, it gave minority Democrats, a, I would say, a lot more power to either block or kill legislation. It also gave some Republicans the same power as well. So, Well, that's been the yeah. reluctance, frankly, uh, that some of my members have to use it. And I believe probably why at least one, maybe even both of the Republican members didn't two members did not sign the PQ. Who were they again? Um, Schaff and Dixon. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because they've, yeah, they've done their share of filibusters. The, the concern that the filibuster, you know, because you have, it brings this enormous amount of power or influence to the table when you have the ability to slow up or kill legislation. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, and that lies with each senator. So even my own members, because I've, I've had people frustrated with some things, you know, on economic development a few years ago. I couldn't get past a handful of, you know, my own members. Yes. So, okay, so right after that, you had the vote, passed the bill, which now becomes law. And, of course, there may be some court challenges, but that's separate. But then soon after that, I mean, within minutes— if I'm correct, the Senate ended up shutting down. And the word was it was because the Democrats were so angry and said they were going to filibuster everything else. Can you at least explain what happened and why the Senate then shut down so any bill that had not been considered at that point died? Yeah, that and that happened in 2007 Okay. also. It, it's And I think that's pretty much the understanding is that, you know, when you do something like that in the Senate, there are going to be consequences. Um, when I... Uh, came in in 2008, there was a lot of repair that needed to be done, frankly. I mean, everyone was bitter toward one another. And uh, uh, I remember Blunt had about 50 appointments that needed to be done in the first 30 days, and the Democrats were filibustering every appointment. And uh, that's where uh, Senators Justice Callahan and Barnett's met with uh, myself and uh, Senator Goodman and Senator Lager, and where we had a discussion about, okay, how do we get past this? So, you know, I going back to, you know, what, Tuesday night? Wednesday night, late. Yeah, sorry, Wednesday night. Late Wednesday night. Uh, it was a long day. <laughs> yeah, I'm still recovering. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, we did what we felt we needed to do. Um, we had dealt with the major issues that had passed the Senate. The, the 
there were a couple bills that we didn't deal with and maybe one or two house bills and just felt that, you know, um, we, we had done enough this veto session. So, so the timing, so when the, when, when the abortion bill came up, was there a thought in your mind that, well, if they do a filibuster and we have to do this, it means anything that's still on the table is dead. Or, I mean, or was there a decision to get some other bills up before you brought up the abortion bill because this could happen? Yeah, well, I, if I had known or if I had planned, you know, that there was going to be a filibuster and we were going to choose to uh, use a um, a PQ motion to get, I could have put everything else in front of it. You know, I could have structured the messages that came in from the House and the in the manner that the the abortion bill was the last bill. Yeah. So, I, so do you think that? Invoking the PQ is going to embitter relationships going forward come January when we have a new session. Well, you know, most people who follow it understand the importance of the of the PQ. You go talk to somebody in your, you know, your next door neighbor or somebody at the grocery store and they're like, I, what, who cares? I, I, I agree with that completely, <laughs> but continue. Uh, but in terms of working relationships in right. the Senate, um, you know, I think it's it's – We've got a few months now. We can, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to try to meet with uh, not only with some of the incoming Republican senators, uh, but, you know, I want to reach out to Democrats uh, during the remaining few months and, you know, have a cup of coffee and talk about what's important to them and, you know, concerns about the uh, the use of the PQ and try to get try to get past it. Yeah, kind of the interesting subplot. Is you know as I kind of mentioned, there were I think seven or eight Democrats who voted for this in the House, and really no matter what happens in the next cycle of Senate elections, um, I think that the amount of people who are opposed to abortion rights in the Senate is either going to stay exactly the same or go up by at least one because Jeff Rorta voted to override that veto, and so did Ed Schieffer. They're both running against people who are voted to override that as well. So you could have a situation next year, regardless of the Democrat-Republican ratio, where it's even more antagonistic toward abortion rights. So that's something to keep in mind for the next couple of years. So we'll have to see. So do you expect any more abortion bills to come up next year, or do you know? You know, um, I would say that, uh, you know, based on on the bill that we got done this year, that it, it you know, and and the work that we've done uh, in the last decade or so that, um, you know, I don't have a a bill in the pipeline for next year. I don't absolutely think it's necessary that we that we move on something next year. Now, last year the key vote for you was on the gun bill, which which you and uh, uh, yeah, that was the Senator nullif- Richard, the yeah, the gun nullification bill, bill that you and, and Senator Richard, n- number two in the Senate, killed. This time there were some controversial provisions of this gun bill. But it went through uh, in both chambers. Um, on the Senate side, there was a little bit of discussion, but not a filibuster. Uh, is there anything you want to say about this about this particular bill, um, as far as what the what made it okay this time? Well, I mean, the nullification bill was a very different bill, and it was really it was you know challenging federal law, and the way that it was written uh, would have made criminals out of uh, reporters uh, that you know published a name of a gun owner in a newspaper. And frankly, I was very concerned uh, about um, something that would be very embarrassing to the party if that would have been, if that would have been passed into law, some circumstance uh, like that, or 
related to some of the provisions related to law enforcement and how they and how that language was written in the bill. So I didn't think it was drafted well enough, and I thought it would could lead to some embarrassing situations. Um, and frankly, as the as the one who goes out and talks to you guys every Monday and Thursday, I thought, listen, if I'm not comfortable defending it in front of you, then I shouldn't be voting for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, this bill is. You know, there's a lot of instability in the world. Uh, when people see people, um, there are folks flooding across our borders, the uh, people being beheaded, um, you know, all the turmoil in the Middle East, uh, shoot, the turmoil that we have in, in, in the St. Louis metropolitan area. I, I just think there's there are a lot of people that fear for their own safety, you know, and, you know, at the it's a very base instinct to say, listen, I, I – if everything else breaks down, I, I want to be able to to defend myself, to defend my property, and defend my family. And I think that's why there, there seems to be such a divide now over over gun ownership. But you know, you, you could say the one sentiment is, well, if people just didn't have guns, we wouldn't have this problem. But you know, the criminals um, are breaking the law already. So it's really the laws that we have in place are for the law-abiding citizens. And uh, our approach on the, you know, in defense of the Second Amendment and our the bills that we've done to reaffirm the, the Second Amendment rights and to, to support gun ownership, I think, are, are really based on that, that public safety element and uh, that people um, should have a right to protect themselves under, you know, not to the expense of someone else's liberty, but in defense of their own. Now, I've been hearing that you and some other Senate leaders have been talking to some uh, some of the members of the uh, Black Caucus about legislation next year, possibly, at, at fallout from Ferguson. Is that correct? Because I had heard that you in particular were looking at least some legislation. Um, I've not talked about any policy initiatives. You know, I think there will be ideas that—, that that come out of, uh, you know, I think you're likely to see a major part of the governor's state of the state, um, just kind of as I read the tea leaves here, and and then I think we'll have initiatives that will try to get at um, some of the problems, and um, whether it be related to law enforcement or there are things that go from even a macro, more macro perspective over looking at, you know, the number of municipalities that we have in St. Louis and the kind of different, the, the factionalized My governments, the, how revenue is raised. I mean, you know, to the, to the justice system. So there's going to be a lot of input. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about, you know, what would be the right way to structure a committee to to or do these do these bills need to go to different committees just so, to give them the proper attention? So would the general assembly deal with the fact that there's 90 municipalities in St. Louis County? Well, I've I've this is separate from sure. the Ferguson issue, but I look at tax increment financing and okay. how um, poor the public policy is here in the St. Louis metro region. Yeah, I think tests, part of the reason yeah. is is the muni- the municipal warfare that exists between cities trying to fight over retail tax dollars. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't – the reason why you have committee hearings, you have the ideas, you get testimony, and so I don't know what those – I don't know what those decisions will be. But that is our job is to address any policy consideration that comes out of this. And certainly we'll, 
we'll review the governor's handling of this and how and the highway patrols function. Yeah. Um, but we'll do it in due time when we get back to session but in you, January. But you mentioned one of the things that I think in our previous guest mentioned is municipal courts. And one of the things that's gotten a lot of attention is how some of these municipal courts have kind of gone haywire and entrapped people who are low income in this cycle of like fines and imprisonment. And Caleb Jones seemed to indicate that that was a big problem that the legislature may have to solve. Would you say that's a possibility? Well, I, I've uh, and two years ago uh, sponsored legislation based on the this all of the speeding tickets that are given out, and you have this um, revenue, this enormous amount of revenue that's being raised by very small municipalities that happen to have you know a couple of thousand feet of Highway 70. You know, and, and, you know, that's just – so, I mean, we've been aware to a degree, and Max, Max Creek law gets right. gets to that about, you know, how the, how you're raising revenue to pay for your city services. And then but, – but as it affects the residents of that community, how burdensome does it become to, you know, through the red light cameras, the other – the other tickets, and and I'm sure we'll be spending some time on that as well. Now, you made a decision, or somebody made a decision at, at early in the day to allow Senator uh, Chappelle Nadal to do talk about Ferguson a little bit. She vented a little bit on the floor. We, the I don't allow a senator to do anything. Okay, well, they, well, that's what I to ask They you exercise their right okay. to talk about whatever they okay. want to talk about. Okay, because it was interesting that that, had, that took place on the Senate side. Yes. But on the House side, there was a moment of silence for Michael Brown, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, it never came up. So I was just interested if she had come to talk to you earlier and tell you that she was going to do it, or um, I was just interested in how that came about. Um, she did not speak with me specifically prior to session, but you know, the the kind of the general feeling was that you know, at the very least, Senator Chappelle Nadal was going to to get up and talk about Ferguson. This was really her first, you know, opportunity at at an official, you know. Um, state senate capacity on the senate floor to really talk about it and i know she brought up a couple of busloads of people and you know i, I you know she had 10 hours on a filibuster <laughs> and with uh and looked like she was just getting comfortable so i, I knew that we were uh, probably going to be uh, listening to her talk about ferguson for a little bit and it was important to listen to her yeah, and I feel like she'll be talking about that when the session comes back. Just yeah. one quick thing. You have a campaign committee now that at least indicates that you might be raising money for statewide office in 2016. Anything you want to say? Uh, I don't plan on running for statewide office. I do. Um, um, I am still um, interested in serving the public. I would. I, I don't have any definite plans at this moment. I would have to talk my wife into it. Um, but, you know, from a leadership perspective, um, you know, I do raise money and to support candidates uh, in the 2014 cycle. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, first things first, we need to do a good job for the, for the people. And I try to keep my head down, you know, the second injury fund two years ago, the criminal code. Those are, those are things that give me satisfaction in the job. And <clears throat> that's why I continue to do it. I'll close this out here. You can read Joe and our uh, 
State House reporter Marshall Griffin's stories uh, from Veto Session at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow Jason on Twitter as well. Jay Rosenbaum. And Joe. At Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And the senator can be followed on Twitter. I believe it is. Uh, I have a Twitter account. It's at Senator Dempsey. You haven't tweeted in like a year, though. <laughs> I haven't. After the gun nullification bill, I took a breather. <laughs> I think that was a wise decision. Twitter is kind of addictive. Well, I, I tell it's a restaurant business. You have a good experience. You tell two people. You have a bad experience. You tell ten. You know, I just I'm not a negative person, and uh, so I don't like to dwell on negativity. So All right. it's time to move on. Well, Excellent. if you didn't like this podcast, don't. Don't tweet at us either. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. Just wait till the next one. Yeah, which will be next. Back next week. Until then, so long.